Hello and welcome to the third podcast of our podcast series Off the Cuff. I'm Tushar with Kiran as your host today and we are going to talk about a very prominent topic that is Indian economy amidst the pandemic with Dr. Radhika Pandey ma'am. Hello ma'am, it is an honor for us to have you today. Please allow me to introduce you. Dr. Radhika Pandey is an economist and consultant at the National Institute of Public Finance and Policy New Delhi. She holds a PhD and MA in economics from J- JNV University Jodhpur and a BA honors in economics from Banaras Hindu University Varanasi. Dr Pandey was the lead coordinator for the Ministry of Finance Institute Task Force on Public Debt Management Agency. Her core areas of work are macroeconomics, business cycles, financial sector, legislative reforms and capital controls. So I would just start with the first question. As we know that this year was supposed to be a year of double digit growth but we see economists have pared down their projections due to the ferocious second wave and the impact of localized lockdowns so ma'am i would like to start by asking you what are your views about whether india will be able to achieve this target of double digit growth in fy 2022 so to answer this question it's important for us to look at the trajectory of uh, growth of gdp in the previous year so if you uh, look at the four quarters of gdp growth uh, in fy21 that is the year that ended on 31st march 2021 we see that you know the first quarter april to june was a period of steep contraction uh, because of nationwide lockdown everything was closed economic activity came to a standstill and then slowly we started reopening uh, and from july onwards there was reopening of the economy and as a result in the second quarter that is july to september economy contracted but not to the same extent as the previous quarter and then in october december because of further resumption of economic activity gdp actually grew it it didn't contract it actually grew by 0.4% and in the fourth quarter which was released just uh, the numbers were released on 31st of may we saw that the gdp growth was 1.6% so i mean the point here is that we were recovering just before the second wave of the pandemic hit us which was completely unanticipated and therefore if you look at all the uh, forecasting agencies they had uh, projected a high gdp growth and impressive gdp growth of around 12% 13% uh, for this financial year uh, that is fy 2022 now due to the second wave of uh, the pandemic some of the forecasting agencies have uh, uh, pared down their uh, uh, growth forecasts and uh, even today rbi released its monetary policy review uh, uh, meeting um, uh, outcome and there also we see that rbi has also uh, cut down its growth projection for this current year from uh, 10.5% to 9.5% so in all probability uh, to answer your question what we will be seeing uh, growth uh, will be you know not double digits but it will be close to 9 9.5% uh, because what we are now seeing is that thankfully at least for the second wave we are seeing that the peak uh, of covid cases have crossed and we are now seeing a, uh, you know the peak, uh, covid cases have started to decline uh, so going for the forward as the states will start uh, begin uh, make their unlocking process 
we will see resumption of economic activity and uh, demand will pick up uh, economic activity will pick up and we we should see uh, gdp growth picking up in the second quarter so april to june will be bad because april and may uh, have been severely impacted due to the second wave of the pandemic all the high frequency indicators also if you see Uh, look at car sales or uh, look at petrol uh, diesel consumption mobility indicators they have taken a severe hit uh, due to the second wave but what we have currently started seeing over the last two weeks of uh, may that is in the second half that we we have started seeing uh, you know economic activity picking up at least in those states where some amount of unlockdown has been announced so going forward we should see resumption of economic activity and the economic growth will be somewhere around close to 10% or in very high single digits so ma'am how do you see the impact of the second wave in terms of the magnitude of the economic slowdown and how does it differ from the first wave yeah so in the first wave what we saw was that there was a uh, sudden announcement of a nationwide lockdown on 24th of march 2020 which resulted in a complete collapse of economic activities now this time around what we are seeing is that there is no nationwide lockdown but different states have announced uh, localized lockdowns and some states have announced like week weekend lockdowns or uh, night curfews and so on so there is no um, standstill of economic activity as we saw in the first uh, wave but what is different this time is that because this uh, virus is mutating and we are uh, seeing uh, different uh, strains of virus emerging and there are also talk about maybe a third wave hitting countries fourth wave hitting countries so there is lot of uncertainty around the uh, trajectory of economic growth so what we saw in the first wave was that economic growth contracted steeply uh, to 24% of gdp in the uh, april to june quarter of 2020 but at the same time it started recovering in the very next quarter so there was a steep fall but at the same time there was recovery so what we could see was a v shaped recovery in the uh, first wave mainly because one factor very important that we see this time around is that uh, the rural sector has been impacted this time because of the uh, highly transmissible and highly infectious uh, virus uh, last wi- last wave the rural economy had held up you know rural economy was rural sector was not that much adversely impacted due to the first wave this time it has been impacted so what the key difference that we are seeing is that while in terms of magnitude it won't be too uh, adverse as what we saw in the first wave so there will be a slowdown but it won't be as uh, steep or as bad as last year but in terms of how much time it takes to recover back that will depend upon the pace of vaccinations how quickly we are able to ramp up uh, our uh, uh, you know daily pace of vaccination and how quickly people are able to uh, a significant chunk of population is uh, vaccinated so that a third wave can be prevented so if a third wave can be prevented then we can see that you know economic growth will recover at least in from the second quarter we should see resumption of economic activity but if that doesn't happen and uh, the vaccination pace remains 
slow as it is right now then we then we can see that you know the the process of recovery will be much slower and it will take much longer time even though in terms of magnitude it won't be a very steep downfall but the recovery will be much more longer and protracted in this second wave as compared to the first wave right ma'am makes sense moving on one of the huge things that has been prominent in both the waves and which is quite frequently discussed is the effect on employment we have seen unemployment rates soaring to 18% in urban areas and even you have talked about this in one of your articles i would like to know more about your views on this and do you think that the present efforts by the government is sufficient to cope up with the challenge yeah so no employment has been adversely impacted naturally because uh, states have imposed uh, local uh, lockdowns because of which uh, economic activity has been impacted and that has resulted in uh, unemployment uh, migrant workers have been uh, leaving their work sites and going back to uh, rural areas and getting engaged in farm activities and so on and that is visible in the cmi data for uh, employment and unemployment so if we see april and may uh, cumulatively april and may has seen a huge amount of job loss uh, the month of april saw 7.35 million jobs uh, lost Uh, and in the month of may we see another 15 million jobs were lost so cumulatively around 22 to 23 million jobs have been lost in just two months it is not as bad as the uh, you know the corresponding uh, period of the previous year but it is uh, bad and it is uh, it even in the demonetization period we did not see so much of uh, unemployment so unemployment has been a problem now last year what the government did was that it enhanced the uh, allocation to manrega which is the national rural employment guarantee act so uh, it enhanced the budgetary allocation to uh, more than 1 lakh crore so a lot of people who uh, migrated from cities to rural areas got jobs under the manrega this time around what's happening is that while people have migrated Uh, because people are falling sick even the developmental activities have suffered and therefore till now as so we speak we have not seen the government enhancing the allocation of uh, uh, funds to manrega because even the existing development activities are not happening because people are falling sick so there is a uh, gap between demand and supply while people are demanding work so around 2.76 crore households demanded work uh, under manrega in the month of may but only 1.66 crore households got jobs so there is a big demand supply crunch but uh, uh, going forward what we are now uh, seeing is that uh, government has decided to uh, relaunch some of the rural relief schemes that it had launched last year so once that happened uh for example some of uh, the scheme that were announced last year were uh, subsidy under the epfo employees provident fund uh, scheme so that the epfo registered entities are given an incentive to hire more people uh, so all these kind of uh, uh, schemes that were announced in the previous wave are being reconsidered and once they are uh, launched that will help in addressing the problem of uh, employ- unemployment but again going forward i would again reiterate that ultimately the problem would be addressed if we uh, fasten our pace of uh, uh, vaccination so that a significant chunk of population is vaccinated 
so that that's a you know a problem uh, that will have a sustained uh, solution otherwise just by launching scheme it may be a permanent it may be a temporary solution uh, but a temporary uh, solution will not give us a sustained growth unless we uh, vaccinate as uh, population and unless we have some uh, you know measures for uh, vaccinating even people in the rural areas and those who are informal and in the unorganized sector so that is very critical to ensure that the problem of uh, high level of unemployment that we are seeing in the last two months that is taken care of right ma'am ma'am also at the scenario of job loss continues as well as on the other side work from home culture has yeah. been rapidly increasing mm -hmm. so in this circumstance which sector in your opinion would benefit the most so i think the uh, it sector the uh, you know the uh, sectors where it is possible to work from home especially the think tanks and uh, academic oriented institution uh, the services sector those are the kind of sectors that can work from uh, uh, home but otherwise it's not uh, you know for other sectors like construction sector where it is more of labor intensive it is not possible to well, you know this work from home is not feasible so that will require people to come out of their homes and uh, go for work so it's only a very limited set of sectors that will benefit from uh, work from home and they are able to do because you know that also requires the infrastructure to work from home and that is not uh, feasible and that's not practically possible at least in the smaller cities and in the uh, rural areas ma'am but uh, if you see the urban employment rate is going high like if you and the rural joblessness is falling and this at the same time national joblessness rate is also falling so what are the reasons behind this the reasons see if we look at the for the past 2 3 years only we are seeing even before the pandemic struck us uh, unemployment rate was uh, it was not uh, employment rate was not increasing so labor force participation rate if we look at uh, that's a very important indicator that how many people are actually looking for job and are willing to work so labor force participation rate has not been increasing it has been uh, stagnant if we if one looks at the uh, cmi data so coming specifically to the pandemic case uh, there is unemployment at the urban level as well as rural level so uh, specifically if you look at the data for april uh, one find that there was high level of rural joblessness and especially Uh, salaried people are losing jobs so uh, now once the salaried people starts losing job what happens is that it's not easy to find salaried jobs and then uh, then uh, in order to earn one's living one gets starts getting uh, employed in low skill jobs or low paying jobs or informal jobs so what's what's been happening around us during this time is that the level of informality in the economy has increased the level of unorganized sectors in the economy has uh, increased which is not a healthy sign for uh, an economy which aspires to be a 5 trillion dollar economy in the next 5 to 6 years so what is important is not only in terms of the number of uh, people who are employed or unemployed but what is equally important is to also look at the nature of employment it's not that we should be having high level of informal employment because that means that 
it means low wages it means low level of uh, social security which does not augur well for a uh, you know a, an economy which uh, wants to be a high growth economy right ma'am so ma'am last year we saw the exodus of migrant workers from cities to their native places turning the lockdown into a humanitarian crisis so right. what impact will the movement of migrant workers have on economic recovery in comparison to the mass migration that happened during the first wave yeah so first wave we saw an exodus as you rightly pointed out and you know it was a humanitarian crisis because it was just a sudden and abrupt decision to close down everything uh, so that resulted in a lot of misery uh, for the migrant workers now this time around uh, it's not that all there there is a nationwide lockdown and everything is shut so whatever uh, you know exodus is happening where people are moving back from uh, urban to rural areas it's it's a conscious choice by the uh, migrant workers that uh, you know they don't want to be uh, working in areas where there is a high high possibility of uh, a virus spreading so they want to go back they want to be with their families or, or they want to get employed in uh, farm laborers or agricultural employment so ultimately you know the, the reverse migration that is migration back from rural to urban areas will again depend upon how quickly we are able to contain the second wave and how quickly the uh, you know there is a sustained level of uh, unlockdown because what may happen now is that there could be a switch on switch off kind of a thing where uh, now states have understood that lockdown is a very important uh, potent weapon to contain the virus because in delhi also we have seen that once the, the lockdown was imposed after two weeks we started seeing a decline in cases so going forward we will see uh, phases of uh, unlockdown and lockdown going forward uh, till a, a section of till you know at least 70% of the population is vaccinated so so long sooner that is done uh, that will incentivize or encourage people to go back to their uh, jobs because then they will find it safer to go back uh, and uh, get themselves vaccinated and even if now the kind of vaccination policy that the central government has announced at least for some companies big companies what they have started doing is that they have uh, entered into uh, contracts to vaccinate their employees so going forward if that process gains momentum then the process of retrenchment or the process of leaving jobs and going back will will be contained and uh, we will see this process this uh, reverse migration or exodus of workers from cities to uh, rural areas getting addressed uh, also you know we have seen recently there was a news item that uh, workers in surat which is a diamond manufacturing hub Uh, workers have started going back to surat because now cases are being contained and vaccination has picked up so ultimately everything depends on how quickly the virus is contained and uh, uh, we can prevent a third wave and uh, the workers are convinced that they can now go back safely to their workplaces either if they are vaccinated or there is a sustained movement towards gradual resumption of uh, economic activity right ma'am Ma'am, India specifically, from being a mass exporter of vaccines, is now becoming a mass importer of vaccines. Yes. So, how important would be the pace of vaccination going forward, and what kind of contribution do you think that it will make to the economic recovery? 
Yes, so that's the single most important factor at the moment because you know in, there are reforms to be done, there are structural reforms to be uh, made, but ultimately what matters immediately, you know, for immediate um, reopening of the economy, what is important is to have uh, a sustained pickup in the vaccination rollout. Uh, and for this, whatever uh, it, uh, whatever is required to be done, uh, central government entering into contracts with the vaccine manufacturers, uh, doing massive procurement of vaccines, all that is needed, whatever needs to be done should be done so that a, a significant chunk of population is vaccinated as early as possible because, uh, you know, uh, uh, there is a uh, projection by the Ministry of Health and Family Welfare that uh, they will be able to vaccinate 50% of the population by the month of September. Now, that sounds to be a very ambitious uh, agenda given the current uh, pace of vaccination, which is you know not too, uh, too, too encouraging. It has actually come down. Uh, so unless and until we start vaccinating around, say, 70 or 80 lakh vac vaccinations are done per day or even one crore vaccinations are done per day, it won't be able, it won't be possible to think about economic recovery. So, you know, everything depends on vaccination. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we have seen encouraging signs. We have seen that uh, the production of vaccines have picked up and hopefully in the month of July, uh, the production of vaccines will pick up further and the pace of vaccinations will uh, rise and which should give a momentum to uh, economic recovery going forward. So, you know, in the most optimistic case scenario, we should see that from July onwards, uh, we should see green shoots of recovery in a number of indicators because uh, by that time, I think whatever uh, bottlenecks or shortages we are witnessing in uh, vaccine procurement and vaccine production, those should get addressed. Right, ma'am. Ma'am, the government is also telling us that they uh, will produce 216 crore vaccine doses between August and December. So do you think this will be achievable uh, right now, seeing our production capability and logistics? It depends, because right now what we are seeing is that it's it, it takes time to scale up the production. And uh, as of now, the production is not that uh, significant. But going forward, yes, it is definitely possible. It is just that if they've already started that process, which we, we which we do see that they have started the process of scaling up the production. So any any attempt at scaling up the production should uh, result in a positive momentum for uh, economic recovery. So that's that's definitely possible. It's only that whatever uh, bottlenecks are there, or whatever is required from the side of the producer, uh, and whatever is required from the side of the government, all those the issues should be nailed out so that you know it can happen in a seamless manner, in a frictionless manner. Uh, whatever raw materials are required to be procured, uh, they should be allowed. Whatever tax issues are um, you know pending, they should be. Uh, addressed so that you know at the moment the single most important priority for the government and for the stakeholders is to vaccinate because uh, you know if you look at the experience of any country which has been able to contain this virus uh, and open up its uh, economic activity it's only have been possible by uh, vaccination so if you look at us uk israel all these countries have been able to vaccinate around 72 70 percent of their population has been given at least one single dose. And they are now even looking at booster doses, okay? So it's not just that two doses are done and now they are uh, 
absolutely protected. They are also now uh, procuring vaccines to uh, give their population a booster dose so that you know they can get protection from any emerging strains of virus. So the importance of vaccination, not only just two doses of vaccine, but on a sustained basis cannot be uh, overemphasized. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just very critical at this point in time to have a ready supply of vaccines, either through domestic production or through imports or in whichever manner so that we are able to uh, vaccinate our population and also have, you know, even if it requires paying a premium to the vaccine manufacturer, that should be done so that we have enough vaccine to, uh, you know, if required, uh, we can give a booster dose because our population is, uh, we have 130 crore population, it, it takes time to vaccinate this population, a huge chunk of population out of which a large chunk of population is in the rural areas. And there is a, there is a massive vaccine hesitancy among people. So it's, it's a challenging task. So production, ramping up of production, supply, imports, and at the same time, encouraging people to come forward and get themselves vaccinated is the, is the single most critical uh, factor towards economic recovery. Right, ma'am. Ma'am, the RBI surplus of 99,122 crore came as a big surprise to many as the government has budgeted a much lower number of 53,510 crore, inclusive of RBI, nationalized banks, and the financial yes. institutions as per the union budget. So how do you assess this transfer and how RBI managed to generate such a huge surplus as the last accounting year was just nine months long? So if you look at the RBI's uh, balance sheet, there are certain sources of income. Uh, then there are certain sources of expenditure and the difference between income and expenditure is the surplus which is transferred to the central government. Now this time around as you rightly pointed out that uh, RBI has changed its financial year uh, to align it with the uh, uh, central government's financial year which is April to March. Uh, but because the last year ended in uh, July, so this financial year is only from July to March, which makes it nine months. Uh, now, so the reason why uh, Central Bank was able to transfer a huge surplus uh, were twofold. One reason was that its expenditure was uh, lesser. Uh, the reason for its lesser expenditure was uh, one element, which is the provisioning. So what happens is that RBI has created a number of reserve funds. Okay, So it has a reserve fund called contingency risk buffer. It has a reserve fund called uh, asset development reserve. It has a revaluation reserve. So it has these reserves in which every year it parks some amount of money. Now, uh, in 2018-19, uh, a committee was set up by Reserve Bank of India, it's called the Bimal Jalan Committee, to decide on how much uh, capital the Reserve Bank of India should keep in these reserves and how much it should transfer. So it laid down certain parameters, it laid down certain thresholds of how much the Reserve Bank should keep it in these various reserves and how much it should transfer. So one of the key recommendations of the Bimal Jalan Committee report was that whatever out of its total size of balance sheet, that is its total asset or total liability, 55 to 6.5% of the balance sheet size should be transferred to a something called a contingency risk buffer, okay, to tide over unforeseen circumstances or to tide over credit risk and so on. Now, 
so it was left to the central bank that is rbi to keep to retain 6.5% or 6% or 5.5% so rbi decided to retain 5.5% and not 6.5% and that is one of the reasons that you know it is retaining in its uh, reserve a lower amount and therefore it it was able to transfer a uh, higher amount so that is one reason which is lower provisioning the amount that it is uh, maintaining in its various reserves was lower this time and therefore its surplus was higher the second important reason was that it made some amount of money through its forex transactions so in the in the in the january to march quarter of 2020 rbi sold foreign exchange uh, rbi sold dollars and the revenue it the income it uh, attained through the sale of these dollars uh, was parked on the income statement and that was one reason for its uh, higher revenue so on the one side there was higher revenue from its forex transaction on the other side there was lower expenditure because it provisioned it retained less amount of money in its various reserves and that resulted in transfer of a higher amount so projection was as you pointed out 53000 crore uh, in the budget uh, but uh, it was able to transfer uh, somewhere close to 1 lakh crore in the, the for the, the the nine months and it really helped the government's fiscal finances because uh, for the 2020-21 period the fiscal deficit the revised fiscal deficit numbers were projected at 9.5% of gdp but because of this uh, transfer it helped in reining in the fiscal deficit to some extent in addition to having higher uh, indirect taxes from uh, you know uh, petroleum taxes one of the reason was this uh, huge transfer of surplus from rbi which helped in uh, curbing uh, controlling the government's fiscal deficit from 9.5% of gdp to 9.3% of gdp so it is important that uh, you know rbi should transfer because ultimately uh, it it is a matter of contention why rbi should retain so much in its reserves how much it should reserve, uh, retain whether it needs to retain so much when it is already holding a lot of uh, reserves so it is holding more than 10 lakh crore already so it is a matter of debate if uh, rbi is required to hold more but given that as maybe it uh, re- decided to retain less uh, which is a welcome development and transfer more to the central government which is uh, which helped in it curtailing its fiscal finances ma'am can the rbi directly finance the expenditure by printing money and handing it over to the government to spend or they need to buy buy and sell the dollars in order to generate an accounting profit no so uh, what happens is that the frbm act which is the fiscal responsibility and budget management act does not now allow automatic monetization of deficit so what you are saying is that whatever is the deficit rbi prints currency notes uh, and uh, helps in curbing that that is now not allowed under the frbm legislation so what rbi can do at best is to uh, buy bonds in the secondary market so what that is what it is doing so if you uh, are familiar with you know terms like uh, open market operations or government securities acquisition program which uh, rbi has announced uh, in its today's monetary policy meeting as well as in its last monetary policy meeting so it is doing a, it is it is taking a number of steps 
to control the cost of borrowing so that government is able to borrow at lower cost because its expenditure commitments have increased but its revenues have collapsed so it has to borrow more also it has to uh, compensate states for the shortfall in gst compensation so rbi uh, sorry central government has to borrow more uh, but rbi cannot directly uh, uh, print it because it will lead to inflationary pressure and it will uh, you know not be good for savers because the real value of money comes down so what is at best rbi is doing is buying bonds in the uh, secondary market to lower the yields on government bonds so that more and more borrowing is possible at lower cost so it's not buying and selling of dollars it's buying and selling of government securities so whoever is holding government securities the rbi can buy government securities from those uh, entities like banks or mutual funds or insurance uh, funds and so on and uh, it infuses liquidity into the system it infuses money into the system which helps in reducing the interest rate so that in that way rbi is contributing to being its uh, you know the debt manager to the central government uh, by uh, infusing liquidity enhancing liquidity into the system reducing the interest rate so that the government's borrowing program takes place in a seamless manner thank you ma'am for explaining that also in 2019 pm narendra modi envisioned making india a uh, 5 trillion dollar economy and global powerhouse by 2024 25 so do you think that this will be achievable in the near future so it all depends on how quickly we are able to contain the spread of the pandemic uh, because when this uh, vision was announced uh, that time the economy was not hit by the pandemic so the the uh, uh, target of 5 trillion dollar economy was to be achieved by 2025-26 uh, it may not be possible to achieve by 2025-26 it may it may get postponed by 2 years or so because you know already we have seen a contraction you know uh, 2020 21 saw a contraction of 7.3% we are not even close to 2019-20 gdp at the moment so it will it will not be achievable in the near term but with the uh, uh, you know uh, controlling the spread of the pandemic and introducing uh, reforms introducing uh, enhancing productivity of the manufacturing sector improving employment situation making it more uh, formalized employment uh, that will help us achieving the 5 trillion dollar goal not in 2025 26 but maybe Two years later, which is understandable because it's not only that India is suffering; all countries of the world are uh, have been adversely impacted due to the pandemic, including the advanced economies. So, it is not; it is a bit premature to talk about five trillion dollar economy achievement in the next five years. But what is important is to uh, ramp up the health infrastructure because that is what has been the key learnings from this pandemic. that we have to ramp up the infrastructure we have to invest in health we need to invest in hospitals we need to invest in medical education we need to invest in vaccination so that going forward the uh, 
you know the the severity the extent of lockdowns can be minimized because that imposes a huge strain on the livelihoods of people it imposes a huge uh, strain on uh, economic growth and so on so that is something which is required at the moment and then uh, government has introduced a lot of uh, reforms last year like agricultural related reforms were introduced fdi related reforms were introduced disinvestment and privatization related reforms were introduced so all these reforms need to be carried for, uh, forward once the pandemic is reined in uh, so that the goal of achieving a uh, 5 trillion dollar economy can be materialized in the medium term right ma'am thank you so much ma'am for joining us this week on off the cuff it was indeed an insightful session the podcast was really a value addition and we hope the same for our listeners we have lot more coming up stay tuned thank, thank you thank you thank you tushar and kiran thank you so much ma'am for you. taking the time and coming and joining us thank you yes.